Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, We're going to continue in our series uh, through the book of James, a series entitled Alive and Well. Here's what we've been saying for weeks now. Man, we don't want your faith to be on life support. We want your faith to be living, active, and growing. We, We don't want you to just be barely hanging on. And so in this series so far, um, we've looked at how to keep our faith alive and well when trials and suffering hit our lives. Last week, we looked at how to keep our faith alive and well when temptation calls or when temptation comes knocking at the doors of our hearts. Today, we're going to look at three different types of faith. Now, I I would guess that every person in here possesses one of these three types of faith. Two of these faiths are empty, and they actually hold no salvation in them, while one is a living, breathing, saving faith. Now, let me say this right out of the gate. It would be awesome to say that everyone who possesses faith in the Lord will be saved. But James is going to argue against that principle this morning. James is going to call on us, the readers, to be open and honest with ourselves, to be honest about our faith walk with Jesus Christ. You know, I have, I have found that honesty is always the best policy, and I believe honesty always will be the best policy. Don't you wish that advertising companies were honest? Like, think about some of the products that you use or that you consume. Don't you wish they would put, uh, like, the proper wording on the label, like that the product would actually describe what the product does instead of steering you in in a wrong direction. I'm going to give you a couple of examples here, and this is from honestadvertising.com, all right? Here's number one, hot pockets. It should say every bite is a different temperature, right? Because one bite's like lava and the next bite's like an ice cube. Or how about this one, if you cook these for your kids, Kraft Mac and Cheese. This tab will not open the box, I don't know about you, but I just have to rip the whole, you know, top off uh, to, to open that thing. Those of you who are potato chip lovers, particularly Lay's potato chips, Lay's should say this, flavored air, right? Because you have this big giant bag and you've got like 14 chips on the bottom and it's just a bunch of, of air. I love this one. Hamburger helper just means mom's tired, right? <laughs> mom's tired? <laughs> We're having hamburger helper tonight. <laughs> or dad. Here's one for the ladies, Victoria's Secret, lowering a woman's self-esteem since 1977. I mean, just honest in the advertising. Or how about DiGiorno's Pizza? It's obviously not delivery. Ikea, if those of you who shop at Ikea, we throw in extra parts just to mess with you. (laughs) This one speaks to my heart. This is WebMD. Convince yourself that you have a terminal illness. You know, type your symptoms in WebMD and you're going to the emergency room, right? Those of you who remember fruit, fruit stripe gum, tastes great for three seconds. And then my all-time absolute favorite, Burger King, have it your way, eat somewhere else. Um, you see, advertisement can be false and misleading on many of the products that we use and consume. 
Well, I think many people possess a false and a misled faith. There are a lot of people who look like they're saved, but they're not. So before we get into James and we talk about the three different types of faith, let's talk about what faith is biblically. Uh, When you say biblical faith, what does that mean? Well, a, a good definition of biblical faith, believe it or not, is actually found in the Bible. Can you imagine that? Uh, Hebrews 11.1 tells us what faith is. It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, So faith believes even when it makes no sense to believe. Not because the proof is before you, but because you you put your trust in in, in the place of an object that's before you. That would be the object of your faith. All right. Biblically speaking, the object of our faith, the thing unseen, is God Himself. Now, the the Bible has a lot to say about faith. I mean, we could we could do a series that would last a couple years just on the passages alone about the importance of faith. The Bible tells us that the sinner must have faith to be saved. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift from God or gift of God. Paul tells us in the book of 2 Corinthians that if we're followers of Christ, we have to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It's our faith, our genuine faith, that actually brings a smile to the face of God. Our faith in God, our audacious faith in Him, actually pleases God. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whomever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Whatever we do apart from faith... Paul tells the Roman readers that it's sin, Romans 14, 23. But whoever doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And here's the money phrase, everything that does not come from faith is sin. So faith is the cornerstone of our spiritual lives. It is actually the linchpin to our salvation. So think about it. It does no good for us to confess that Jesus is Lord if we don't really believe that Jesus is Lord. If we don't live our lives like he is Lord of our lives. It does no good to say, well, yeah, I believe in God. Of course I do. I'm from the South. Everyone believes in God. If you don't have faith that that belief in God can change and transform your life. It does no good re- is there's no good reason to be baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit if we don't have faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So faith is important. And the right faith is critical. So James chapter 2 is where we'll land today as we can continue this series. And I want you to see right out of the gate how James starts this out. Because this verse is the cornerstone verse for the entire series. James says, What good is it, my brothers, and may I add sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? 
The psychologist Dr. Alfred Adler holds an interesting theory of individual psychology. When dealing with people, here's what he says. Trust only in movement. Life happens at the level of action. Adler goes on to say, we are not what we say, we're actually what we do. What we do, he says, is the real key to our intentions. So we trust only in movement. Dr. Adler discovered what the Word of God teaches. He discovered what James is saying here. He's observed that in human behavior from the viewpoint of psychology that the only real revelation of a person is through that person's behavior. This is what James is saying in this verse. If I may paraphrase this verse, it's almost like a, like a math equation. What James is saying is your faith, your belief in God, plus inaction on that belief, plus no fruit, plus but doing nothing to serve fellow man, not showing the love of Christ, that faith plus that zeroes everything out and you're, you're, back, to, you're back to zero. You have to have action that accompanies your faith. And so in the passage that we're going to go through today, James is going to identify three kinds of faith. And so let's look at them together. He starts off by talking about a dead faith, a dead faith. Look at verses 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking daily food. And someone says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, people with dead faith substitute words for deeds. They want you to believe they are what they say when we all have to understand that we are what we do. Trust not in words. Trust only in movement. True faith will always be seen in works. Dead faith is not seen at all. And so James gives this illustration of dead faith. He says you see someone in need and you do nothing about it. You, you, your faith is pointless. It's useless. James says, hey, if you see something good that you can do, do it. Don't just talk about it. Several years ago, uh, it was a Thursday night. I'll never forget it because the band was in here practicing. It, uh, they practice on Thursday nights. And it was about 7.30. It was a summer night. And, and I was leaving the office to get into my car. And as I was getting into my car, this car pulled in. It pulled in pretty quickly. This guy gets out. He's, he's out of breath. And he starts talking to me and he says, hey, I need your help. I didn't know, I didn't know where else to go. Uh, my, my wife and my kid, my son, they were at a baseball tournament in Columbus, Georgia. They got into a horrific accident. They're both in the hospital. My wife is in surgery right now. Um, preparing, uh, they're trying to repair a shattered femur. I don't have any money. I got to get to Columbus. I desperately need to get to Columbus, Georgia. Now, out of all the places in Paulding County that he would show up on a Thursday night, he shows up right out here in this parking lot as I'm going to get into my car. 
So what I did is I pulled out the cash I had in my pocket. It was like 40 or 50 bucks. And I said, hey, this is to be plenty of money. This will get you to Columbus. It'll get, it, it'll get you back. Can I pray with you? Can I pray for your son and your wife before you go? And I did that. And I sent him on his way. Now, let me ask you something. What good would it have done for him, his wife, and his son in that moment for me to say, oh, man, that's awful. Man, I am so sorry. I, I, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to give you any money because I don't even know if this is real. I, I just wish you well. I, I mean, look at me. Look at my face, brother, with all my heart. I wish you well. Now go in peace. That would be useless. That is an example of a dead faith. The, the, the great radio host Paul Harvey once said this. If you don't live it, you really don't believe it. Think about that for a second. In the context of our faith, if we don't live it, then we really don't believe it. There's a story of a make-believe country in which only ducks lived. And one Sunday morning, all the ducks came to church, and they waddled down the aisle, they sat in their pews, and the duck minister took his place behind the pulpit. And he opened the duck Bible, and he began preaching, and here's what he said. He said, ducks, you have wings, and with your wings, you can fly like eagles. You can soar in the sky, but you have to use your wings. Who's ready to use their wings? And all the ducks quacked, amen, hallelujah. And then they waddled out of the church, and they waddled back home. That short parable was, was by the philosopher Kierkegaard, and it perfectly illustrates the truth that faith is meaningless unless we put it into action. Like we should leave church transformed and ready to change the world. The book of James tells us to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. But too often we listen to sermons about the extraordinary way in, in which we're to live our lives, but we fail to put those words into action. When we do that, we've just wasted an hour of our time, especially if, especially if we waddle out of church the same way we waddled in here. That's the kind of hearing, unfortunately, that goes on every Sunday morning in the multitudes of congregations across America, hear me, including this one at times. This self-deception crosses denominational lines. It crosses racial barriers. It happens to young people and it happens to old people. People who encounter the truth but respond in a way that never ever changes their lives. James says, that's a dead faith. I want you to see verse 14 again. He says, what good is it if someone says they have faith but they don't have works? And then he asks a follow-up question to that. Can that faith save him? Can that faith save them? Can a belief in God that's not backed up by works and actions save a person? I believe the answer is no. Because that's a dead faith. And dead things don't make it to heaven. You understand that? We make it to heaven because Christ breathes life into our souls. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not have perished but have eternal life. And the person with a dead faith 
to me is a person who only possesses intellectual knowledge of God. Okay, so if you're at a, like a, you're at a restaurant and it's like a trivia question and it's a Bible trivia question, you, you've got this, right? Because you have a lot of intellectual knowledge about God. You said in Sunday school when they used the flannel board and, and, all, and all, you know, all that stuff, you know all the answers. You have an intellectual knowledge of God. It's a person who attends church, but they aren't the church. It's a person who knows the right words, but they don't back up the right words with the right works. Now, so if you're visiting here, you're going to hate me because there's no really easy, soft way to say what I'm about to say next. I mean, I cannot mitigate the severity of this. The best thing that I can do is try to speak to you in love with, with no brimstone in my throat. But hell will be full of people who believed in God, but never had a relationship with him. Full of people who sat in church week after week. Think about this. The Pharisees believed in God. The Pharisees went to church far more than you will ever go to church. They knew scripture far better than, than, than you knew scripture. But those are the people that Jesus condemned. James is telling us is this. We can't just know about God. We have to know God personally. We have to know God intimately. James is saying, listen, intellectual belief is not enough. That is a dead faith. Okay, so I've used this illustration before, but as I joke, I've been here almost 20 years and I'm running out of material. Uh, so, be, you know, humor me. I, I'm a Brad Pitt fan uh, as an actor. I don't know, I don't, I don't follow actors' political statements or, or they're, you know, I, I just like him on the screen. I've always kind of followed him uh, as an actor. I think he's a good actor. Um, I, I know quite a few things about Brad Pitt. You know, I know, I know what his hobbies are. I know what he likes and uh, uh, somewhat know his love life. He's hard to keep up with these days, uh, right? But, but I know a lot about Brad Pitt, but I don't know Brad Pitt. My wife, Lindy, and I, we're not going to go out to dinner with Brad and Angelina or Jennifer Aniston and Brad or whoever he's with these days. I know about him, but I don't know him. And so many evangelicals fall in this pit. No pun intended. I, I don't want you to just know about God. Trivial facts about God. I, I want you so badly to know God, to pursue God, to love God, because God is good. He is right and He is righteous. He is both whole and holy. He is lovely and He's loving, so much so that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. And my hope is that we will see Him and our worlds will be rocked. Not, not just to say, hey, I, I know all the Sunday school answers, but I can hardly sleep at night because I'm so in love with Him. He's all I think about. I think about Him when I eat, when I work, when I play, that He becomes a part of your spiritual DNA, that when you see Him, you can do nothing but relentlessly pursue Him. Because here's why. Dead men can't move. There's no movement. Those of you who are old like me, Remember Weekend at Bernie's. Remember that movie? These two insurance agents are dragging this dead man around. He can't move on his own. So if we brought a dead man or a dead woman and we put them on the front row here, guess what? They're going to sit there. Unless you move them. Unless I move them. Unless something or someone moves them. 
they're not going to move because dead things don't move. Dead faith, according to James, is marked, is marked by no movement. I'm going to come to church and I'll, 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 I'll do my time for an hour. Heck, I'll even put an hour in the nursery. But don't ask me to do anything else. Don't ask me to be kind and compassionate and look out for the needs of others. Don't ask me to sacrifice anything. Don't ask me to pick up my cross daily and follow him because I'm not going to do it. That is a dead faith. And James says that type of faith is useless. He moves from a dead faith. He's trying to shock his readers, and he, he starts talking about, number two, a demonic faith. Look at verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe in God. You believe God is one. You do well. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. So I think, excuse me. I think what James is doing is he's trying to shock his complacent readers here. And he's using demons as an illustration. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but demons possess faith. They know and they believe God. All right, so think about this. You're not going to find a demon on the face of this earth that's an atheist or an agnostic. They know God. They believe in the deity and the power of Christ. When they were on earth and they encountered Christ, when Christ was on earth, they actually bore witness to his sonship. In Mark 3, 11, and whenever the unclean spirit saw him, when the demons saw him, saw Jesus, they fell down before, them, before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. Whoa, we know who you are. Try to back away. Demons believe in the existence of a place of punishment in hell. There's some evangelical preachers that don't even believe that anymore. Right? And so demons are having more faith than our preachers sometimes. In Luke 8, 31, they begged him, they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. So he threw into some pigs and they ran over a cliff. First case of swine flu. I'll give you a minute to think about that one. The demons knew and they believed in the power of Christ. Yeah, this encounter in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 24. They asked Jesus, what have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then the spokesman of the legion of demons says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so you have these demons who believe because they have intellectual knowledge. I mean, they, were, they shared heaven with Jesus before they were cast out. But they also have an emotional response, too. So it's not just intellect, like a dead faith. It's intellect and emotion. Look at James 2, 18, verse 19 again. The end of that, where it says, Even the demons believe, and they shudder. In other words, that's an emotion. They tremble in fear. And so demonic faith is this intellectual knowledge that even has an emotional response. But this faith falls into the same category as a dead faith, knowing about God but not really knowing God. 
And the one thing I've tried to pound into your hearts ever since I stepped on this pulpit many, many years ago is, is, is this idea of knowing God versus knowing about God. Because it's a monumental paradox that we need to figure out. And here's why. We live in the South. Everybody's a Christian down here, right? I've had conversations all over this town. Yeah, well, of course I'm a Christian. My granddaddy was a preacher. And, you know, my parents went to church. So I'm a Christian. Well, where do you worship? Where do you, well, I don't go to church. But, right, they just passed it down like it's a genetic thing, right? They're, they're Christian, so I'm Christian. No. Your parents' faith can't save you. It's an, it's an individual decision. Just because you grew up in the church doesn't mean you're necessarily a Christian. Just because you have some intellectual knowledge and maybe even a little emotional response doesn't really mean anything. I mean, I hear this all the time. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I'm not judging people. I try to, you know, just engage in conversation. Well, that's great. Praise the Lord. So, you know, where do you worship? Where do you serve? Well, I, I don't worship. I don't go to church. But, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, right? Listen to me. That's a demonic-driven faith. That's a faith that says this. Yeah, I believe in God. But I'm still going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to submit to that. I'm going to live life my way. I know what the Bible says, that old, archaic Bible written thousands of years ago. That doesn't apply to me. This is 2020, baby. I'm going to do me. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do what I want. I'm still going to live by my flesh. I'm not going to change my behavior. Right? So that's useless. It's like a screen door in a submarine. What's the point? There's a class of submarines known as the Virginia class. It's a class of nuclear-powered cruise missile fast attack submarines. These things are 400 feet long. They cost $2.4 billion to construct. Each ship carries 12 uh, vertical launch Tomahawk missiles and 38 torpedoes. They are a sight to see. $2.4 million to make. Now, how ridiculous would it be with one of these things being completed, being constructed, and then you say, I got one more door to put on. We got to put the last door on. And you decide to put a screen door on it. It's not going to get very far, is it? The people inside aren't going to be very happy, are they? It's useless. Demons have faith. But not only do they not act on their faith in reverential awe towards God, they rebelled against that faith. And so to me, demonic faith is this. It's a faith without love. It's this, I acknowledge there's a God. I believe he exists, but I'm not in love with him. And here's how I know you're not in love with him, because I, I don't obey him. All this talk about loving your neighbor and the least of these and the poor and the powerless. Pfft, let someone else do it. I ain't going to do anything. I'm not going to love on God's people. You see how deadly this is? Like, so, so many Christians that will sit next to you in church this Sunday will believe the right things. But they have no love for the Father. They have no love for what Jesus did for them. They might even live a moral life. But their heart has not been changed. It's still self-centered, not God-centered. It's still motivated by self-interest rather than love for others. Paul would say it this way in, in, in the book of Galatians. I absolutely love this passage of Scripture. He says in verse 6 of chapter 5, For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Essentially what he's saying is it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter anymore. Jesus came, Jesus came to save all mankind. 
But the money phrase is what he says next. Think about your faith walk with God. And think about if you were boiled down what faith really means, here's what it means. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so a good way to gauge your faith is to ask you when you look around and you see all that's going on, where are you helping? Where are you showing kindness and compassion to a fallen, broken world? How are you leveraging yourself and your assets for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? So we've got a dead faith. We've got a demonic faith. And then finally, number three, this is my prayer for all of us. James talks about a dynamic faith. A dynamic faith. You see, a dynamic faith is a faith that's real. It's a faith that has power. It's a faith that results in a changed life. It's a faith that results in producing fruit for the kingdom of God. It's a faith that says we are not what we say, but we are what we do. So look at some of the examples that James gives. He's writing to a Jewish audience, so he's going to go Old Testament here for a minute. But verse 20 through 26, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Well, I'm about to give you some examples. He starts with Abraham, number one. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay, so James is using these two Old Testament people to illustrate this point. The point being that a dynamic faith requires action. So he uses two people in the Old Testament, Abraham and Rahab. Now, you could not find two more different persons. Abraham was Jewish. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a godly man. Rahab was a sinful woman. Abraham was a friend of God. Rahab belonged to the enemies of God. But what did they have in common? They both possessed a dynamic faith, a faith that said, you know what, I don't just believe, but let me step out here and act on that belief. And so the illustration he gives with Abraham in the text, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, is his son. God says, all right, I'm going to test this guy's faith. Take your son up on the mountain and sacrifice your son. Well, it wasn't until Abraham gathered his servants and gathered the wood to make a burnt offering and started going up that mountain and put him on the altar that God finally intervened and said, no, 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 you don't have to do that. I just wanted to test your faith because it's one thing to say you believe it's another thing to walk in that belief. Then he goes on to Rahab. Joshua sent these spies to the city that she lived in. They were going to overtake the city. They were running recon on the city, and uh, she hid them. And when people were looking for them, she didn't just say, yeah, I believe in your God. I think it's going to work out, but I don't want to get involved in this. She hid them, and then she showed them the way out. Her faith led to action. 
That's what a dynamic faith is. It's a faith that produces fruit. It's a faith that produces works. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for what? Sit around and talk about our faith? No. For good works, which God has prepared beforehand, before you were born. And we should walk in them. I just want your faith to be dynamic, man, because I want it to be real. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you because my faith needs a tune-up just like yours at times. But to express itself by looking around and finding someone just to show kindness and compassion to. This is what James is saying. He's, it's not rocket science. It's saying if you believe that we should help the poor and the powerless and the, and the least of these, let's help the poor, the powerless, and the least of these and not just talk about it. Let's find someone to love. You don't need your preacher to, to set up an initiative for you to do that or the Roman road. You have far more influence with your coworkers and your neighbors than I ever do. I, people find out I'm a preacher and they all of a sudden have a cell phone call. They got to go. What do you do for a living? I'm a preacher. Oh, excuse me. You have so much influence, so much impact. And so I want to invite you. We're doing this little thing. It's, you can call it an initiative if you want. It's called ARC 31. ARC 31. And an ARC, is, is, we use that as an acronym, Acts of Random Kindness. Today is March 1st. There's 31 days in the month of March. And so our challenge to you, my challenge, personal challenge to you, and I've already started this, just to see if it works. It does. Is to do an act of random kindness, one a day, for 31 days. If you don't like us on our Facebook page, like us on our Elevate Facebook page. We've got about 60 to 65 ideas. Just these little acts of random kindness. And we want you to share pictures and share your stories uh, if, if you so feel led to do so. We want to celebrate those wins with you. Just look around and find these little acts of random kindness to help somebody. Okay, and so if you don't have time to get on Facebook today and look at the list, I'm going to give you some suggestions of what you can do today. Day number one. It's real simple. A lot of people go out to eat after church. Do you know waiters and waitresses don't like to work on Sundays, not because it's Sunday, but because Christians are very joyless and very demanding and they're terrible tippers? They don't like to work on Sundays. So here's an idea. If you go out to eat today, smile at your waiter and waitress. Ask them how their day is going and then leave them a 50% tip. So if your meal's $30, leave a $15 tip. Just a Act of random kindness. Or if that doesn't work for you, if you don't go out to eat, call your grandma today. I'm sure she'd love to hear your voice. Or call your grandson. Call that family member that you know needs you. If that doesn't work for you, if you go grocery shopping and you're in the store today and you see a, a, a mom you know, dragging three toddlers along and the toddlers are marching in line and they're well-behaved, just stop and say, hey, I just want to tell you, that those kids are really well-behaved. You know what that would do for her spirit? If that doesn't work for you, put something on Craigslist today and say, it's free, come get it. If that doesn't work for you, email a coworker or, or a classmate that you know is struggling and so when they get to work tomorrow morning, that email is waiting on them. Hey, I just want to tell you, you know, um, I think you're an awesome person. God loves you, and so do I. Hope you have a great week. 
And if none of those work, there's 65 other ones on that list on Facebook. But I want to challenge you. One act of random kindness one day for the 31 days in March. Listen, you do this for several days in a row, you're going to begin to feel your faith come alive. You're going to begin to feel your faith grow. I absolutely guarantee it. It will open doors to people that you will never imagine. That's, a, that's what a dynamic faith is. It's seeing Jesus and then pursuing him with our good works. There was this young guy, young Christian. He was a, a young man. How many times am I going to say young? And he went to visit the home of an elderly Christian man. Now, he'd heard that this old man had never lost his zeal for the Lord, had never lost his love for Christ over all these years that he served Christ. He didn't grow bitter. He grew better in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he went to visit the man, and the elderly man was sitting on his porch taking in the beautiful day with his dog. And he posed a question to the old man. He said, hey, sir, I, why is it that most Christians really chase after God during their first two, uh, year or two upon their conversion, but then they fall into this complacent ritual of church once a week, and they end up looking no different than their neighbors who aren't even Christians? He said, I've heard that all these years you're not like that. The old man smiled, and he replied, well, let me tell you a story. One day, I was sitting here quietly in the sun with my dog. Suddenly, a large white rabbit ran out in front of us. Well, my dog jumped up, took off after that big rabbit. He chased the rabbit, rabbit over the hills with a passion. Soon, other dogs in the area joined him, attracted by his barking. What a sight it was, he said. The pack of dogs ran barking across the creeks, up the stony embankments, through the thickets and the thorns. Gradually, however, one by one, the other dogs dropped out of the pursuit, discouraged by the course and frustrated by the chase. Only my dog continued the holy pursuit of the white rabbit. In that story, young man, lies the answer to your question. Well, as you can imagine, the young man sat there confused in, in silence. Finally, he said, well, sir, I don't understand. What is the connection between the white, the white rabbit chase and the quest for God? You fail to understand, answered the well-seasoned old man, because you failed to ask the obvious question. The obvious question is this, why, did the other, why didn't the other dogs continue on the chase? And the answer to that question, young man, is because they didn't see the rabbit for themselves. You have no equity in your grandparents or your parents' faith. It was their faith. You have to see Jesus for yourself through eyes of faith. The hope for things unseen, that's faith in Jesus Christ. And when we see Jesus, our Savior, through eyes of faith, 
The chase of life is never too difficult. He will expand our faith, our passion, and our determination necessary to keep up the chase. I want to introduce you to somebody by the name of Scott White. Scott White is a member of of our church here. Um, He's been around for a year or so. Uh, I'm going to share part of his story, but, but Scott's here because he had some persistent people in his life uh, that, that wanted him to see Jesus and, and wanted to share the love of Jesus with him. But he had some roadblocks. Uh, one day after Scott's 50th birthday, he had a massive stroke. I mean, that is a young age to have a stroke. I'm talking about a stroke where the doctor said, hey, you're not going to walk again. Probably going to need some kind of full-time care. Your career is pretty much over. Uh, I mean, that's a hard pill to swallow, yeah? At, at one day after you turn 50, I'm 49. But Jesus, through some people, strategically placed in Scott's life, led him here to Elevate Christian Church. And at some point, somewhere along the way, he saw Jesus with the eyes of faith. We baptized him here. His friend baptized him right here. Now, ever since then, Scott has been sharing the love of the Lord really the only way he can, with Uber drivers. See, Scott can't drive because of the stroke. So if he wants to go to the doctor, he calls an Uber driver. Wants to go get groceries, Uber. He has to pay Uber to come to church sometimes. I mean, we find excuses not to come to church. This guy's paying an Uber driver to bring him here. Because he has tasted the Lord. He has seen the Lord and the Lord is good. And so what Scott's been doing, he jokes about it, but he's like, I got a captive audience. You know, it's just me and the driver. He's been sharing the love of Christ. He's not taking them down the Roman road and filling their heads full of a bunch of intellectual knowledge. He's not being judgmental, repent or perish. He's just asking them how they're doing, telling them his story about what Christ did for him. He's the most positive person I've ever met who's who's had a stroke. I'm going to get this story wrong, but you can ask Scott yourself. He's actually had Uber drivers in his driveway where he's prayed over and prayed with. He's had drivers call him after after they've dropped him off. He's not a customer anymore asking for counsel, godly counsel. It's opened up doors that you couldn't imagine for this young man because Scott White saw Jesus and nothing else will do but a relentless pursuit of doing his will and putting his faith into action. The only thing that counts, Paul says, is is faith expressing itself in love. How about you? He's waiting for you to put your faith in him, not a dead faith, not a demonic faith, but a dynamic faith. When I was a senior in high school, I worked for a short period of time at a cabinet factory that didn't have any air conditioner. I worked on the assembly line, uh, putting these cabinets together. I hated it. 
Absolutely hated that job because it was, it was so stinking hot in there. Every two hours we would get a break. And I couldn't wait for that break because I would go straight to the break room where they have the, the vending machines. And after every break, after every two-hour shift, I was so thirsty. I just wanted some ice-cold, the sweet nectar of life, Mountain Dew. There's never been a better soft drink invented. I'll fight over that one. I'm just kidding. I'm wiry, but I'm agile, so watch it. Just loved it. Well, I remember one, one particular day, it was hot, it was, it was close to the summertime, and, and I was just so thirsty, and I put the two quarters in the machine like I normally did. I hit the Mountain Dew button. The can came rolling out, and it looked perfectly normal. The writing on the side of the can said Mountain Dew. The tab was still in its place, showing that it wasn't yet opened. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the can. But I could tell as soon as I picked it up by the weight of it, it had nothing in it. There was a pinhole somewhere in that can. And instead of the sweet swish of liquid gold in my mouth, <laughs> it was empty. I lost 50 cents. Now listen, an empty soft drink can is no great tragedy. But I've often wondered how many folks who claim to be Christians are like that. You say the right things. You have the right label. They go to church. They sing the songs. They listen to the sermons. But they're really just empty cans with a colorful label. There's no life in them because there's no action in them. Their faith is dead. I don't want to be the leader of a church like that. Just don't want to do it. And I'm not saying that you are like that. I'm saying some of you probably are. But I want to invite you to cast that off. I want to invite you to possess a dynamic faith. A faith that you're excited about. A faith that you cannot help but do good works because your heart is full. It has been transformed and redeemed by Jesus Christ. I want your faith to be alive and well. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.